Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. I was uh, headed down to, uh, to participate in what used to be called the Cape Argus Race uh, in Cape Town and uh, several years ago, and uh, it's now called the Cape Town Cycle Tour, if, and it's still on. If you guys are uh, into biking, you know this race. It's a fun race. I was headed down. I was with a good friend, and we stopped at Springbok uh, overnight before we got all the way down to, to Cape Town, and it, this is a little bitty shop in, in Springbok that had this book. And a little uh, uh, books for sale, which was intriguing to me. I couldn't under- understand why this small shop actually sold books. Uh, found a book there uh, called, I actually bought a book <laughs> called Around Africa on My Bicycle. Maybe you've seen this book before. It's a fascinating book about a man by the name of Rian Manser who uh, rode his bicycle around Africa. I, I, that evening, I just, I just could not stop reading this book because it's a, every chapter is basically a uh, of a new place where he's ridden in, in his journey. Uh, he left Cape Town in uh, September 2003 uh, trying to solve the problems in Africa. He wanted to raise awareness of all the issues in Africa, so he got on a bicycle. He decided he was, I'm, I'm going to solve the problems in Africa by riding a bicycle. Uh, uh, hopped on a bike and, uh, in Cape Town and took off. And his goal was to ride the, uh, the coast, uh, all the coastal areas of Africa, and, and circle back around. And this intrigued me because I grew up in West Africa and I couldn't wait to hear about his stories about some of the places in West Africa that I feel like he probably would die. And that's where I, I kept reading, thinking, I cannot believe he did this. Anyway, uh, one of the most intriguing uh, chapters of this book is, is where he is almost killed in Liberia by teenage soldiers. And uh, he, he, he escapes, uh, just just barely escapes and continues to ride. Doesn't, you know, he's not daunted. He continues on his journey. And in 2005, uh, after 36,500 kilometers, uh, 34 countries, and having lost 14 kgs, uh, he rode into Cape Town, uh, completing his journey. As I was reading this um, uh, book, I was intrigued by how fascinating it was that the decisions that people make. I my first question was, why? Why would you do this? You know, why would you hop on a bike and decide that, uh, yeah, what, what possessed you, basically, is what I was thinking. What an amazing adventure, though. As I kept reading this book, though, I kept thinking to myself, would I do this for Jesus? Would I do this for a good purpose? You know, would I uh, go without any luggage and just ride uh, and go and, and share the gospel for the sake of Christ? Would I do that? Would I do that? Luke 10, verses 1 through 3. Let me read this to us. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. If you were here last Sunday, you heard me speak about these three verses. Uh, and our conclusion last Sunday was this. God sends ordinary people, people just like you and me, to dangerous places. Uh, they are sent praying, actually, that others would join them and, and to go to a harvest of many, many people. Um, God sends ordinary people into dangerous places uh, for an amazing purpose, better than, you know, cycling. Uh, 
but God sends people out in this way. I want you to look at Luke 10, and we're going to keep working through Luke 10 this morning just to see how he does it. How did God do it? What was his plan? What was the practical side of the sending? Luke chapter 10, verses, verse 4. Uh, this is what he says. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the way. Jesus sent people out with nothing to dangerous places, expecting them to completely be dependent on him and the people that they encountered along the way. They traveled without money, without suitcases, without extra shoes. They traveled urgently to an area of lostness. Now, whenever I read this passage, uh, one of the first things that comes to mind is, of course, that is this something maybe that we should be doing today? All right, this was what Jesus did. This was his model. This was his methodology. But uh, should this be happening today? Is this how we should send people out? Is this how I should go with nothing and, and depend on the people that I meet for my sustenance? Is, is this still uh, the perspective of God? And I would say for many people, yes, absolutely. Uh, this is a model that I think we can say this is a great missionary sending model. Uh, I'm going to speak more about some different op options. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, I, you know that uh, I was sent here by churches from the United States, and uh, we're part of a mission organization that takes care of us quite well. We actually pack a lot of bags, sometimes way too much. We bring a lot of stuff. But Jesus sent these people out to, tr to travel light, to travel fast. They traveled with a certain level of urgency, and uh, the goal was for them not to get distracted uh, to, uh, you know, away from anything except for the task that God had called them to do. I think, uh, at least for our purposes this morning, I think we can say for 100% that uh, in all the things that we can model after, the thing that we must model that's still true today is that there is an urgency to get to lost people. There's an urgency to get the gospel to those who do not know him. Uh, the urgency is still very real. I've been very guilty of this and just more preparation, more training, uh, mass more stuff. If I just had this tool, I'd be more effective in sharing the gospel. All along, there's people who are lost and dying and, and not hearing the gospel because, because I'm not sharing it. There's an urgency and we get distracted. We get distracted by comfort. We get distracted by church tradition, I think, very often. Uh, I think we get distracted by ungodly authority structures where we are trying to still ask permission of whether or not we should share the gospel from people who seem to be in places of authority uh, who we expect them to speak into our life before we will actually obey God to make disciples. I think we get, I think we get distracted by the saved. Uh, we just want to be ready. We want to get enough nurture. We want to get filled up enough before we think we're ready to go and make disciples. And so very often we get stuck in a, in a group of the saved 
and we stay in that group of the saved, uh, hoping that at some point we're going to be ready to get out there into the lost world and share the gospel. The saved can be a distraction to getting to the lost, also to our fears, right? Uh, very often we are just uh, simply afraid to open up our mouth and share the gospel. Uh, that's why we're told in Scripture to pray for what? Boldness, uh, because we're a bunch of scaredy cats. And we, uh, we know there's a, a need for people to experience salvation, but uh, we're just too afraid to tell them about the salvation that comes through Christ. When I think about the urgency, I think about a story of myself sitting with my family in the States. Uh, this recent trip, we were in the States, and uh, I was sitting with uh, one of my sons, and we were at a Mexican food restaurant, really enjoying the food, and, uh, and talking, and just glad to be together as family. And uh, I, I looked over, and uh, my grandson uh, had picked up a steak knife, uh, and he was uh, reenacting some scene, I think, from Star Wars, where he was doing his knife like this and around like this. Very sharp steak knife. And my other grandson, his little brother, was sitting there watching this, kind of stunned that, you know, his older brother had this very sharp knife. And then as he kept doing this, and he, then he decided to, to let his little brother be the target of his, of his knife. So I'm watching all this take place. And at one point, my grandson, oldest one with a knife, took his knife like this and, and just flipped over all the top hairs of my other grandson's head, just like... And fortunately, my, my other grandson, his little brother, just stayed still while the elder grandson did something very foolish. My reaction to this, uh, as you can imagine, was, stop it! No, my reaction was, huh? That's all I did. That's all I did. And then I very calmly, casually looked over to my son, who is in charge of these boys, and said, um, Zachary, you might... You might... Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, my son, who was telling this amazing story and not seeing his boys, looked over and saw what was happening and went, gave them instructions. Son, uh, don't do this. Other son, don't allow him to do this to you. And then when he was done having a conversation with his boys, he addressed his father. He looked at me and he said, and Pop calls me pop pop whenever you see my sons about to kill the other one please speak loudly and stop the behavior yeah i said yeah yes sir i'll, I'll do that i'll do that for you my boy yeah sometimes we see there's an urgent problem but we don't step in and solve it and i think that's often the case I think most of us here in this room, and if you're online, would agree that there's a serious situation in a world today where people don't know Jesus and they're dying without him. That's a crisis. It's a massive crisis. The best that I can estimate, based on my research, is that at least 80, 80, 80 people die every single day in the country of Namibia without knowing Jesus Christ. Every day. Every day. This should break our hearts. And, and, and this should make us aware of the urgency. We need to be sharing the gospel. Who died today without hearing the gospel while we're in church? I'm not suggesting we should stop going to church. But 
people are dying without Jesus. You can do the math. There's enough information on the internet, research that's been done, census. But we see people are dying without Christ on a daily basis around the world. Thousands, millions, every day without Christ. There's an urgency. We need to be sharing the gospel. God is asking us to be part of that task. Who this day will die in Namibia without Jesus Christ? That's why I sent him out. Don't get distracted. Don't talk to anyone on the way. Get to the lost. Share the gospel. He continues, Luke 10, verse 5. But wherever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day of Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me, Jesus said. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. They were sent out and tasked to, to bring blessing and judgment on all those that they encountered as representatives of the kingdom of God. If they reject them, they reject God. God trusting them for delivery, for healing, and as his ambassadors. Truly, they were sent out as emissaries, as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. That's incredible to think about. Now, most of us, I think, as we consider ourselves, we think, how is that even possible? I, I know me. How is it possible that when I walk into a place as a child of God, I am bringing the kingdom of God with me? That's what Jesus is saying here. And I think that's a principle we can take with us today. That's still true today. If you are in a place, you are bringing the kingdom of God with you. Jesus asked them to pronounce blessing over wherever houses that they went into. And this wasn't just some a phrase that they said, you know, peace be on this house. Now, let's see. No, it was truly, truly uh, as emissaries and ambassadors of God, when they said peace on this house, peace descended on that house. As emissaries of God, as representatives, ambassadors of God, we bring that peace with us. We bring the kingdom of God with us. We are representatives of the Most High but we also are carriers of the Most High. The kingdom of God comes with us. And those who reject us are rejecting God. God has given his believers power over uh, body and soul. He sent them out uh, to deliver people from the demonic, spiritual healing. And God has entrusted us as his, as his ambassadors to have this authority. And we bring in this peace. We bring in uh, the presence of God into neighborhoods, into families, 
uh, and, and we are those people. And oftentimes, we actually do not stand for what God has already commissioned us to do. We're not really aware of what we carry with us. And, and I think very often we, we step back quietly and do nothing when we see evil abounding and, and moving uh, because we're not, I guess, because we're not aware of, of who, we, who we belong to and, and who we carry with us. Jesus sent them out as truly carriers of the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of God. We take the kingdom of God. We are kingdom bearers. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 5. This was, this was so, so, so clear to those who followed Jesus Christ after his resurrection. We see all of those who are commissioned out. We see this all through the book of Acts. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, this is how Paul summarizes our task as believers. He says this, for, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's what? Ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sins so that he could be made right with God through Christ. Listen, not everyone is called to be a pastor. Not everyone is called to be an apostle. apostle. When I say apostle, I mean a sent one, a missionary. But everyone is called to make disciples. Every disciple of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. Every one of us has been called to be a disciple maker. You may not fill the role of pastor or leader, apostle, but you are called of God to make disciples. As followers of Christ, we take the kingdom of God with us. When we are near our neighbors, the kingdom of God is near them. And be aware of that. Wherever you live, you are the representative of the kingdom of God in your neighborhood. That's you. That's us. I have a neighbor who told me last year he had been seeking God uh, and as he was praying uh, and seeking him in his search, he felt very strongly from the Lord that God told him to come and speak to me. How bizarre. And, and he, he found me and told me that. He said, God has told me in my search that I need to talk to you. I says, I will, will you help me? He said, I, I think you're a person who can help me discover my relationship with God. I said, I'd be delighted to. It was an amazing thing. I, I left that meeting. I was very blessed because I realized that not only is God telling me that I'm his ambassador, he's telling my neighbors. Isn't that cool? So if, if you're wondering about your commission and whether or not you are an ambassador for Christ, don't worry, your neighbors know it. <laughs> and it's very possible that your neighbors are going to be seeking you out because God is telling them, that person right there is one of mine. There you can find peace. Go talk to him. Go talk to him. What is true in all this today is still that God is sending us as his representatives. That's true today. God is sending us out. Let's keep reading. Luke 10, verse 5 and following. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Peace will descend. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to the king, say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So you see this scenario here where you have uh, the, the one who's being sent is, is asking for, 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 for blessing and peace on the house that they enter. 
but he's also looking for a son of peace, all right? Uh, it, whenever people read this, and uh, me included, I ask the question, what is a son of peace? All right, have you ever asked that question in this passage, if you've read this passage, what's a son of peace? What does that look like? Well, uh, we, we know this, uh, these metaphors, we use it in our culture as well, so this would be a Hebrew culture. A son of peace would have been someone who is worthy uh, of the peace of God. This is someone who, who, who is pursuing the peaceful uh, God, uh, and, and that's the kind of person he's speaking of. Uh, we have those phrases too, right? Um, son of a gun, have you heard that term before? Uh, he's a son of a gun. It's a compliment, right? It's usually saying, you know what, he's just like his dad. What a great, it's usually a compliment. Uh, he's a son of a gun. The, the term son of a gun was actually developed uh, and emanated from the 18th century when uh, if, uh, if wives would accompany their husbands on, uh, on sailing boats uh, from, from England. And uh, uh, very often if they got pregnant and it was time to give birth out, out, out at sea, they would have their babies between uh, the guns uh, of the ship. And so, therefore, that term began, said, that guy's a son of a gun, uh, the babies that were born. Uh, we understand this as metaphor of idea, but this idea of son of peace uh, was very much the idea of someone who was worthy of the peace of God. So someone who uh, was seeking after God, someone who was interested in the mission of God, uh, someone who was interested in peace in general, but a son of peace, looking for someone who would basically receive these missionaries and bring them in. So the sent one uh, declared peace and was looking for someone of peace. Uh, that, that, that's the idea. Who's the son of peace? In the New Testament, the, the person of peace or the son of peace is very often the one who is the gateway for the gospel in that community. It's the doorway. It's the person that you would actually connect with to then be a base for, for mission and outreach in, in that society, in that community. Uh, it happens today, right? Uh, I can tell you right now that... Uh, uh, all across this country, homes have been opened up and, and were the gateways of, of ministry starting, churches planted, the gospel spreading community. Uh, you heard that this morning from Mark Peter, that because of a house he was part of, he, he experienced this, the, learned the character of God, the, uh, he experienced uh, uh, God's word, he experienced community. Uh, so that house became this peaceful place where he could actually experience the presence of God in community, a son of peace. We see this through scripture. Uh, we see Jesus looking for these people. It's the way he did his ministry. He not only sent people to be this way, but he also lived this out. In Luke 5, I've, I've put a list here of just different illustrations of this uh, throughout scripture where this idea, this approach of finding a son of peace, finding a house of peace or a son of peace, uh, that God would use that to be a, a place, a network area where the gospel would move and multiply. Luke 5, verse 27 to 31 talks about Levi. Levi, a tax collector, Jesus is just walking, sees Levi in a tax booth and says, come, follow me. And so he leaves his work and follows Jesus. And eventually you see in the story that he is uh, a host, a banquet in his house, invites all of his business friends and his family to listen to Jesus Christ, to, to listen to the gospel. So Levi becomes the host, uh, this person of peace, who also start, has followed, just followed Jesus Christ, then opens up his house uh, as a place for not only his family, but also his friends and associates. Now, to which, <laughs> when this happened, of course, the, the religious people, the Pharisees of the day, uh, complained to Jesus that he was doing this and eating with, quote, the scum of the earth. Uh, so why are you eating with such scum? And to which Jesus responded, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I'm here to seek after 
the lost and to save them. We see this also too with the story of Zacchaeus, right? Luke 19, he says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he operated in homes. He operated on the street. He operated with persons of peace in the context of their homes. The Samaritan woman in uh, John chapter four, we know the story, right? Incredible story, woman of, of ill repute, an immoral woman, but God uses this Samaritan woman, this woman to reach her entire community for Christ. And, and many of us would look at that story and say, what an unlikely person that Jesus chose. How unlikely was it? And amazing that God used this woman to impact uh, her, entire, uh, her, her entire community. Then there's Cornelius. Uh, Cornelius, you see in the context of Acts chapter 10, uh, uh, Peter is staying with a guy by the name of Simon. Uh, I don't know why, I think Simon Peter looked just for people named Simon to hang out with, I'm not sure, but anyway. Your name's Simon. My name's Simon. Well, great. Come. You can stay with me. Simon the Tanner is where he lived in Joppa, and he was operating from Simon's the Tanner's house to do his ministry. Uh, if you know the story, it's an amazing story. Uh, uh, Peter's hungry. He goes to the, to the top of the house. It's a flat roof, and uh, he goes into a trance, and he sees this vision of uh, this blanket coming down with all of these animals that he was not supposed to eat because of his Jewish tradition. And uh, in his trance, he heard God saying to him, uh, pick this food up, kill it, and eat it. And this happened three times where he kept saying, no, I don't eat that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, God is giving a vision to Cornelius and, uh, in Caesarea and saying, um, you're seeking after me, go find Peter. Uh, and so he sent, Cornelius sends some of his workers, they find Peter, and then Peter is brought back uh, to Caesarea uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the story goes, uh, ultimately Cornelius invites all of his friends and family, same scenario like Levi, and Peter sits with them, shares the gospel, and we're told in scripture that the Spirit of God came and indwelled uh, these new believers. Uh, so God is operating through these persons of peace. Peter's living with the person of peace. Uh, Jesus speaks directly to Cornelius and say, go find Peter. And Peter comes, shares the gospel, and the gospel and the truth is permeates that place because of Cornelius and because of God's work. Uh, we see this with Lydia. Uh, Lydia and, and Paul. Paul was going to uh, a district in Macedonia, and uh, he hears about that there's some prayers that, that are taking place on the Sabbath by the river. So he and his crew go down by the river, uh, not in a van, but they go down. <laughs> Uh, they, they go down, they find, they find uh, uh, a bunch of ladies that are praying together. One of those names is Lydia. She receives their message. So they share the gospel by the river to this prayer group. And Lydia receives the message and is baptized that day. And then says to Paul, Paul, if you find me worthy, please come and, and come stay at my house. Come stay at my place. And you can do your ministry from there. We just see this scenario repeated over and over again. Where, where the Holy Spirit orchestrates these amazing encounters through persons of peace, through houses of peace, through the sent ones that are declaring peace, and they're coming together, and the gospel's being presented, lives are being transformed. Sometimes whole households, whole communities are transformed because of this truth, because of Christ. But, but this is his methodology. Over and over again, uh, we realize that as we look at these models and these scenarios, we realize that the gospel is still dependent on persons of peace living in community with the lost. Let me say that one more time. The gospel is still dependent 
based on God's direction, God's uh, authoritative direction, he is saying that the gospel will move through people in community. The gospel is still dependent on persons of peace living in community of the lost. We are being tasked today, as they were then, to be emissaries, ambassadors of the kingdom of God in the communities that we live in. And the growth of the church is primarily, but not always, through community. But the church will always lead you into community. Always, always. It may start outside of community, but it will always lead to community. Acts 2, we give this sort of quick scenario here of what's happening uh, in the new church, the New Testament church. After the Holy Spirit descends, we see this picture, Acts 2, verses 43, 47. And, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. All right, we did this yesterday. I had more strange bourdivores than I've ever had in my life yesterday. <laughs> I'm joking. It was all great bourdivores. It wasn't, I don't think I had one piece of odd and strange and bizarre or off bourdivores. It was amazing. I ate way too much. Uh, I ate carrots in beautiful dip that were given to me by the dentries, and uh, I had amazing uh, lamb vores, incredible. Lamb vores, speak to the, the vex here about this lamb vores. I had curry springbok. Oh, that was good. That was really, really good. Yeah, a little on the wild side, but fantastic. Um, it was just an amazing day, uh, a great time, and we just shared. We shared our food. We shared uh what we were drinking, we shared our salads, our pasta for the people. Uh, there was one moment yesterday that, I'll, that, that was very special to me. Uh, someone approached uh, Nolene's brother. Young Carl, are you here today? Yeah, Young Carl. Yeah, it's here. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, I'm going to tell a story about you, just a heads up. Um, someone offered him, of course, meat was flying everywhere. People were offering, you know, little pieces. I just cooked this. You want some? You want to try it? And uh, so Young Carl said, I'm sorry, but I'm a vegan. He's apologizing for being a vegan. Don't need to apologize. It's a great way of living. But when he said, I'm a vegan, there was this collective gasp across. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you're a what? Is this possible in Namibia, a vegan? Yeah. Press on, Jan Carl. Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't give up. Uh, but there was this wonderful community that uh, happened yesterday. It was just, it was wonderful. If you were there, you know, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, That's what it says. They, 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 uh, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see here in this context that they worshiped at the temple. They also worshiped in their homes. Uh, uh, they did the Lord's Supper actually in the context of their houses. Uh, which was uh, an ordinance that uh, Jesus commanded. So it wasn't only done in the context of a, of a denominational structured church, but also in the context of their home. You see this fellowship. You see church happening in temples. You see church happening in homes. Uh, and, and I think that's true for us today as well. There's the, there's the mega church worship, right? Uh, there's those big, big churches that sometimes we're attracted to. There's other small places that we're attracted to. Very often people like this church because it's just smaller than the mega churches. You might call this a micro church. Um, it's a great church. Um, homes, coffee shops. Uh, man, we, we were just uh, the recipients of an incredible blessing from a person of peace. Uh, members of our church, the, the Cormacs, who ran a coffee shop in town called Be Still Coffee Shop. And uh, 
every single Wednesday night, they would throw me the keys to their shop, and I would unlock it, and we would have Bible study uh, on Wednesday nights at, at their place. Uh, incredible. And, it, and the church met there. The church gathered together in this coffee shop. Um, we see these different methodologies, different approaches still today. Uh, there's a book called Training for Trainers, uh, which is an incredible instructional book on how to, to, to lead small groups, how to, how to multiply small groups, and how the church is developed in the context of homes and houses and other places. Uh, there are mission organizations that have adopted this methodology, whether big church or small church, but this idea of multiplying churches. There's an organization called East West that I partnered with uh, that takes this idea of the small church across the world, and they do so very, very effectively. E3 Partners, and all of these, by the way, are, are people that you can find on the internet, and you can learn from these people. There's even what's called a micro-church movement. Have you heard of this? This is incredible. Instead of saying house church movement or cell group movement, they're not calling it a, they're just saying, okay, we're small. So micro-church movement. When I first heard of this, I thought of like little models about this being a little little models of churches that to sit in this beautiful church, look what I made. Anyway, <laughs> but, but the idea that belief is that somehow strategically that in the smaller setting that more can be done and there's more fellowship, there's more expression of the spiritual gifts in that context. Um, and, and really for me and where I stand on this, I, I certainly would say, yes, we need to be worshiping in the context of smaller groups and in homes and different places. But really the bottom line is, is that the church is healthy regardless of the architecture that they're, they're worshiping in, regardless of the size of the church or the building, uh, regardless of where they're actually worshiping, but that the church needs to be the healthy church in whatever context it finds itself in. It's the idea of community, that Jesus is inviting people uh, to discover the peace that can only come from Christ and to live in community in, in that peaceful way. God is inviting us into community. I believe that's possible here at New Song Family Church. Even though we're bigger than a house most of the time, um, we haven't actually broken uh, and gone off and eaten breakfast because there were too few people here in years. Uh, we used to do that. We would have, if, if less than 10 people showed up for church, we would just say, okay, let's go eat breakfast somewhere in town. And we would do that on Sunday mornings. We haven't eaten breakfast in years. But, but this, this context can also be very, very healthy if it operates uh, according to what God is, is asking us to operate in. The, the problem, regardless of size, venue, architecture, it's a spiritual problem where the church does not live out uh, in community and doesn't live out in commission. Uh, what I'm saying is this, that where the church does not love each other and function in, in the context of family community that only Christ can give us, that's one problem. The other problem is that the church doesn't live out its commission as sent ones that God is sending this church, every church, out to a lost world to make disciples. So when a church fails to live in community and fails to live out of its commission, then the church is, is backwards. The church is not healthy. The issue is not the denomination it belongs to. The issue is rarely the size of the building that it's worshiping in. Uh, the issue is rarely the venue. The issue is rarely whether it's in a house or a coffee shop. The issue is that the Spirit of God, as we know this, that the Spirit of God lives in the hearts of man, not in buildings. And when this, the church is healthy, it's going to be living in community, relating to each other, loving each other, taking care of each other, and it's also going to be living out its commission to a lost world, being sent 
and making disciples. The healthy church not only is great to be part of, but also grows. The healthy church grows because people are being added constantly because people are making disciples. There's different support structures as well that we acknowledge through Scripture. We see this. Paul actually said as he was sent as a missionary, uh, Paul said very clearly, I am proud to say that I don't have support from anyone. I, I, I work and I pay for my own living and, and I share the gospel. So uh, basically, we, we call those today, we call those tent makers. People actually have a job, but they still fulfill the commission of being sent. So they work and they also share the gospel. So it's a very much of an acceptable way, uh, support structure for people to be sent. I would also say today that the walking totally dependent on persons at peace for shelter, food, and clothing is also an acceptable way. The way Jesus sent people out, I think it still can, be ha can happen today. I know several people who actually live this way. I admire them greatly. Uh, every, they call themselves, uh, humbly, they call themselves faith missionaries uh, because they're depending on everyone else for every single step that they take. There's also uh, the model that I'm part of. It's, it's fully supported by a church or a group of churches that sends us out. Uh, but, but in all of this, no matter what the support structure looks like, and I'm okay with all of those, the idea is that God is still looking for persons of peace, people who represent the kingdom of God in those neighborhoods that you're going to connect with and the gospel is going to move through those persons of peace. The thing that is consistent throughout is that God works through community through persons of peace. God is still, regardless of the size of the group, the venue, the architecture, or dwelling, He's working in community with persons of peace. I think about years ago uh, when we started uh, uh, YWAP in our house. And um, I'll never forget this story as long as I live. It's a, a great guy, the, the, actually the Dentry son, Morgan. I think many of you know Morgan Dentry. A wonderful, wonderful guy. Started coming. Uh, JP, did, did, you, did, did you invite Morgan? Did he come with you first or was it with someone else? Okay. Uh, maybe to Morgan, uh, maybe you came with Morgan, right? Later? Was it? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm really throwing JP off there. He's trying to work. Um, anyway, but the community uh, started meeting in our driveway over in Olympia. So we would do YWAP uh, every Friday, and, uh, and we also did Saturdays eventually, but in the driveway. And um, Morgan was coming on a, on a regular basis. He wasn't a follower of Christ. And uh, then one day he said, can I talk to you? I said, sure. He says... Before I come to your house, every Friday, I'm not okay. I said, okay. He said, but whenever I get here, all of a sudden, I become okay. And he said, I don't understand that. What is going on? Why is it that whenever I come to your house, all of a sudden, I feel peace and I'm okay? I said, well, I can tell you it's not Brian Bullington, but it is the Spirit of God that you're experiencing here at this place. And that's the piece. So tell me about the spirit. Over several conversations and also with a, a dear friend of mine named Ronnie, uh, Morgan decided to give his life to Christ. But through the fellowship and context of this place of peace. Uh, uh, Morgan today is happily married, serving God in a church in Mississippi in the United States. A wonderful, wonderful guy. Really for me, for you, I think the question for us is this. First of all, do I have an urgency for the lost? Am I living out out of this urgency to get the gospel to lost people? Am I living with urgency? Or am I still just endlessly preparing and collecting stuff so that I can be ready someday to share the gospel? 
Am I living as an ambassador of Christ? Or am I waiting for some weather event before I actually step out and share the gospel? Am I a person of peace? Am, am I all about, some would say, he's a son of peace. He, he is a person who is seeking after the things of God. Am I a son of peace? Am I a daughter of peace? Am I a person of peace? I got news for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you are this person of peace. I think God is inviting us, you and me, to step into that role, to realize that we carry the king of kings. The kingdom of God comes with us. And we are being asked to step up and stand out and speak the truth of God to a lost world. This morning, um, I want us to, again, pray for, for courage. <laughs> pray for clarity. Pray for um, what God is asking us to do so that we can be these people. And I have a list of, of things that I want us to pray for uh, today. Uh, I'm going to ask worship leaders to come on up and um, as, as they maybe play some instrumental in the background, I'd like for you to just spend time and, uh, uh, with the person next to you and pray very specifically for these four areas. Pray for God to send out witnesses. Pray for workers in the harvest. So you're praying for other people in addition to you that God would raise them up to be sent. You're praying also for boldness, all right? Uh, you can say this, God, I'm afraid. I, I need your courage. Uh, pray for opportunities, open doors. And then I want you to pray that God would, would uh, give you clear ways of communicating the gospel to the people that you're going to encounter. And, and just if you want to be in groups of two or three, uh, just pray with each other and for each other to this end in, in, the next, in the next few minutes, okay? So gather together. Find people uh, that you feel comfortable with and, and pray.
Lord Jesus, we, uh, we give you praise. We thank you this morning. Thank you for the invitation that you've given us, Father, to be part of your mission. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, we go this morning knowing that uh, we are bearers of the kingdom of God, Father, and we are advancing your kingdom, your authority. Lord Jesus, uh, give us the courage to realize, God, what you've done for us. Father, that you've filled us and you've made us your emissaries, your ambassadors. Lord Jesus, we, we do ask for, uh, for boldness, God, that you would help us overcome our fears. Lord Jesus, we ask for, uh, God, that you would raise up others who would be faithful to, to actively share the gospel, Father. Lord, you say in your word, God, that uh, the harvest is, is abundant. Uh, the problem is the workers, not enough workers. So God, we pray, God, that you would raise up more workers to the harvest. Lord Jesus, we ask God that uh, you would help us to be clear as we present. Uh, Father, that you would give us the words to say at the right moment, the right time. And Lord Jesus, give us opportunities. And Lord, I would pray too, God, that we would just be aware of the opportunities that are all around us, Father. Open our eyes. Lord, that we can see that, uh, Lord, anyone at any time and anywhere is an opportunity. So, Lord Jesus, just make us aware, Father. We thank you, God. We, we declare this morning we can do nothing without you, Father. Absolutely nothing. We cannot be your ambassadors outside of your presence and your faithfulness in our lives. So, Father, we commit this morning also to abide in you, to walk with you, so that we can truly be ambassadors of yours. Oh, God, we praise you. Uh, thank you for the great commission. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today, and it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.